We're going to read together beginning in verse 8. We started a new series last week on the five solas of the Reformation. The, the Reformation was a movement that began uh, exactly 500 years ago this month as a protest against uh, the abuses of power and unbiblical teaching of the Catholic Church at that time in the late Middle Ages. This is why we're known as uh, Protestants today. These five solas, or and that's a Latin word for, the, for alone, the five alones became the rally cry of the reformers in those days. They confessed that, number one, Scripture alone is the source of infallible, inerrant truth. Right? We have to start with Scripture. Scripture alone is our final authority for faith and life. And we confess together that salvation is in Christ alone. It's found nowhere else, in no one else, no place else, but in Christ alone, received by grace alone, through faith alone, and to the glory of God alone. These are the five solas of the Reformation. Last week we talked about uh, because Scripture is God-breathed, that's the language that's used there, if Scripture is God-breathed, then it is both true and authoritative for us, meaning that it is our um, completely true guide, our final authority for belief and behavior. So our traditions may reflect truth. Our reason and our rationality may discover truth along the way. Our experiences may be true. Our interpretations may even be true. But Scripture alone, hear this church, Scripture alone, it stands alone as perfect and without error. Our, our reason could be with error, our, our tradition, our interpretations, but Scripture alone is perfect and without error. So last week we looked at Scripture. This week we'll look at the second of the five solas, solo Christo, or in Christ alone. So read with me from Acts chapter 4. This is Peter's famous speech before the high priest and the council. He's, he's addressing this healing that he had just done there uh, near the temple. It says, Then Peter, filled, filled with the Holy Spirit, he said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done uh, to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you. This is really aggressive, the way he's pushing this forward. I want it to be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. So uh, he had healed a man there in the temple courts, and now he was having to sort of address that and answer for that among the rulers at the city council, at the, with the ruling authorities. And they're saying, by, by what authority did you heal this man? And he says, I'll tell you how. Not by my authority, but you remember Jesus, that guy you killed? He's been raised from the dead. Only by his authority is this man standing before you. Well, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. The builders. But now has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven, given among men, by which we must be saved. Let me say a prayer for us. God, we look to you alone. God, we look to you alone uh, to forgive us, to save us, to give our lives meaning and purpose, God. And we confess that 
uh, we are tempted to look in so many other directions. We've got to pray through your word this morning, through the work of the Holy Spirit. God, that we would know the truth, that there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this may not come as a shock to you, but Jesus is unlike any other man in history. He, he is utterly unlike any other man in history. H.G. Wells, uh, the famous author and historian, who was not a Christian, he said this, I am a historian, I'm not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the most, the central point of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. Napoleon said something very similar. He says, between him, between Jesus and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. You can't even compare. Jesus stands alone throughout history. Jesus is unarguably the most important and the most influential person in the history of the world. And each one of us in this room and each person throughout history has had to settle for themselves this most fundamental question who is Jesus? Who, who do you say that he is? Who, who, who is he to you? This is the question he poses to his disciples. And we learn about Jesus primarily, primarily and perfectly through the scriptures. One writer says, at the center of the whole scripture, the reformer saw a person. Namely, this one person, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Jesus himself would say, condemning the religious leaders of his day, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Right? The Pharisees knew their Bibles. They, they knew the rules. And Jesus says, you, you search the scriptures because you're looking for life, but you've missed the point because it is they that bear witness, what? About me. About me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. He said also in Luke 24, he says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets. So he's talking about the Old Testament. He's looking back at the Old Testament. He's saying, it's not just, it's not just now, or, or as we look at it, it's not just the New Testaments that Jesus is central, but in the Old Testament, in all of Scripture, everything that was written about him in the law, in the prophets, in the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he said, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. A thousand years before Jesus was born, David promised that lots would be cast for Jesus' clothes. David, David promised that Jesus would be crucified on a cross. This is, mind you, a hundred years before crucifixion was invented. David promised that Jesus would resurrect from the dead in Psalm 16.10. 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah promised that his mother would be a virgin. The prophet Micah promised that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Hosea promised that Jesus' family would flee as refugees to Egypt. Isaiah promised that Jesus would die and be buried in a rich man's tomb. 500 years before Jesus' birth, Zechariah promised that Jesus would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. That's pretty specific, right? Jesus is the central message of Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, the hero, it's not you, it's Jesus. This is important because many of us, we have the, the tendency to read Scripture as if we were the most important character in it. 
We, we think of ourselves as the hero. We think of ourselves as the centralmost character. And we, we often miss Jesus. We, when we go to scriptures, we're tempted to ask only, uh, how does this help me? Right? As opposed to asking the question, what does this teach me about him? What does this teach me about him? I'm not wanting to just know myself. I'm wanting to see the king. I'm wanting to see the savior. I'm wanting to see Jesus. The whole point of the Bible is Jesus. The hero of the Bible is Jesus. The Old Testament, the New Testament, every book, every chapter, every verse serves as a signpost pointing to him, pointing to King Jesus. Now the central question for the reformers was the central question I think in all of our hearts. This is a universal question, which is how can I be made right? How can I be made right? This is what presses on us from time to time. We, we understand, at least if we're honest, as we search inside ourselves, we understand that, that we are not as we should be. And as we look at the world, uh, it's very clear that the world is not as it should be. Things are not as they should be. And so we long for clarity and meaning. We long to be delivered from our, our shame or our guilt or our brokenness. We long to be whole. And so the question is, how can I be made right? How can I be made right? Last week we asked, what is the source of truth? This week we ask, what is the source of our salvation? What is the source of our salvation? The only source of ultimate truth, the scriptures, as we have seen, they point to the only source of our ultimate salvation found only in Jesus. Jesus said very clearly, definitively, in John 14, 6, what does he say? I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. He doesn't say, I, I am a way, I am a truth, I am one kind of life. He says, no, no, I am the only way, the only truth, the only source of life. Now, I understand, uh, and really it was the same in Jesus' day, which was very, uh, there were many religions in the Roman world, many other gods who were worshipped. Now, when we say something like, Jesus is the only way to God, we are liable of being accused of arrogance, or bigotry, or intolerance, right? To, say, to, to make any kind of exclusive claim, it seems the most grievous sin in today's culture is that of exclusivity. It's to claim that any one thing is the right way. The irony, right, the irony of saying or believing that no religion can claim to be exclusive is itself an exclusive claim, right? Do you see that? That's not a fair statement. Like if anybody says to you, you, you can't claim that Jesus is the only way. That, that's an exclusive statement. That's not fair. You realize that, well, they can't claim that he's not, right? Intolerance of intolerance is still intolerance. You may have heard this illustration before that um, there's many paths to the top of the mountain, right? The idea is that there's many paths to God, right? We don't see the whole perspective, but one's going up on this side, one's going up on the other. The, the idea is that there's many paths to God, and no one can claim exclusivity. And yet the only person qualified to say something like that, you see, would be someone who could see the whole mountain, right? You could, if you, if you, the only person who could say there are many paths up the mountain, there are many paths to God, would have to be one who would see the whole mountain, who would see every path to God, and that would exclude everyone. 
You follow me, church? And so Jesus makes this exclusive claim. He says, I am the only way. I am the truth. I am the life. There is not one person who will make his way to the Father except through me. And it's ridiculous to make, um, to think that no one can be exclusive because people tend to pick and choose which religions they find okay and which religions they find not okay, right? Alan Bloom points out in his book, uh, The Closing of the American Mind, I quoted from this last week, he says, whatever someone might say about um, British colonization, for example, nearly everyone uh, is pleased that the Hindu practice of widow immolation which was the practice that when a man died, uh, the community could, as a religious practice of Hinduism, could bring all of that uh, man's possessions, including his widow, and burn them. And when Britain came in, they did away with that practice. And so all of us go, yeah, we're glad that that stopped, right? That seemed like a really bad idea. One writer continues, says, you know, the ancient Canaanites sincerely believed that the way to appease their gods was to offer up their infant sons in fiery sacrifice. And we look at that and go, no, that's not right. Maybe every religion is not equal. The Aztecs, you may know, they offered up teenage girls as sacrifices. As many as 10,000 had their hearts taken out as a sacrifice in a single day. Maybe some religions are more true than others, right? Even the most sincere relativists, even the ones most sincere in saying no religion can claim exclusivity. Every religion is equally valid. We'll look at these, some of these, and say, yeah, yeah, we, not that one. These are valid, but not that one. But we can't have it both ways, right? We can't have it both ways. Almost every major religion in the world claims exclusivity. They say that our way is the only way. And I want to tell you, church, salvation is not Jesus or some other path. But hear this, and maybe for us, this is what we need to hear today. It's also not Jesus and anything else. It's not Jesus or these other paths to God, these other paths of the mountain. And it's not Jesus and whatever else we want to add to that equation. It is Jesus alone. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Letters, um, which is this book from for, sort of from one devil to another, this mentor to his protege telling him how the enemy sort of strategizes uh, to wreck the lives of Christians. And he says this, the strategy is not to remove Christ altogether, but to propagate a Christ and kind of religion. What we want, if men become Christians at all, is to keep them in the state of Christianity and if they must be Christians, let them at least be Christians with a difference. Substitute for the faith itself some fashion or another with just a Christian coloring. So many of us live lives of not just Jesus and, but Jesus plus our sincerity. Or Jesus plus our behavior. Or Jesus plus us being free from doubts. Or Jesus plus, right, fill in the blank, anything else. But scripture says it's only Jesus. It's not Jesus or, it's not Jesus and, it's Jesus alone. And the enemy wants to shift our attention. The enemy wants to shift our focus, our, our sense of security, our sense of satisfaction, even if only in part, to something other than Jesus. Right? You can hear the enemy say there in screw tape, all right, if they, have to, if they think they have to have Jesus, give them something else that they see as equally important. Add to it, add to it. 
Charles Spurgeon said, if you put one atom of trust in yourself, you have no faith at all. If you place even a particle of reliance upon anything else but what Christ has done, you have no faith at all. If you trust in your works, then your works are antichrist. And Christ and antichrist will never go together. Spurgeon says Christ will have all or nothing. He must be your whole savior or he is no savior at all to you. Salvation from our guilt, salvation from our shame, salvation from God's wrath, and salvation to our freedom, salvation to our wholeness, to our purpose, to eternal peace from God can be found in Christ Jesus alone. This is the message of the gospel. Marcus read before us from Philippians 2 this morning. I want to reread it again for us. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy of being of the same mind. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of us look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. See, you can't have that mind on your own merit. This is a gift to you from Jesus to transform our broken hearts, to transform our broken minds, to make us into holy new people. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, what did he do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. And so Paul says to the church there, therefore, therefore God has highly exalted him. He has bestowed on him the name that is above every single name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You know, when Jesus made a claim that he was the only path to God, history didn't laugh at him. It was revolutionized. One there's a poem that's actually anonymous. It's called The Incomparable Christ. I'll close with this for us. It says this, More than 1,900 years ago, there was a man born contrary to the laws of life. The man lived in poverty and was raised in obscurity. He did not travel extensively. In fact, only once did he cross the boundary of the country in which he was born, and it was during his exile in childhood. He possessed neither wealth nor influence. His relatives were inconspicuous, they had neither training nor formal education. In infancy, he startled a king. In childhood, he puzzled the doctors. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature. He walked upon the waves as pavement, and he hushed the sea to sleep. He healed the multitudes without medicine and never made a charge for his service. He never wrote a book, and yet perhaps all the libraries of the world could not hold the books that have been written about him. He never wrote a song, and, and yet he has furnished the theme of more songs than all the songwriters combined. He never founded a college, 
But all the schools put together cannot boast of having as many students as he. He never marshaled an army. He never drafted a soldier. He never fired a gun. And yet no leader ever had more volunteers who have under his orders made more rebels stack arms and surrender without a shot fired. He never practiced psychiatry and yet he's healed more broken hearts than all the doctors in history. Once each week, multitudes congregate at worshiping assemblies to pay homage and respect to this one and only man. The names of the past proud statesmen of Greece and Rome, they've come and gone. The names of the past scientists and philosophers and theologians, they've come and they've gone. But this name, the name of this one man, multiplies more and more and more. Though time has spread 1,900 years between the people of this generation and the mockers at his crucifixion, Jesus still lives. His enemies could not destroy him. The grave could not hold him back. He stands forth upon the highest pinnacle of heavenly glory, proclaimed of God, acknowledged by the angels, adored by the saints, and feared by the devils. And he is risen. He is alive. He is our personal Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let me pray with us.